Hey there, I'm Joey Dean, lead pastor of South Lakes Church in Oklahoma City. At South Lakes Church, we exist to be radically devoted to God, relentlessly committed to true community, and remarkably passionate for the lost. We hope your faith is strengthened and you grow closer to Jesus as you listen this morning. Now let's jump into this week's message. All right, well, good morning, church. Hey, I'm glad you're here this morning, man. We had a killer first service. Yeah, it was awesome, and I'm excited for the Lord to continue to move uh, in this service. And I, you know what? I just got to tell you, I told the staff, and um, I, just I, if you don't sense this, just please take, take me at my word here. There is a sense, there is a feeling about South Lakes that, honestly, I haven't felt um, since about March of 2020, and things were just, man, the, what the Lord was doing in our church, and then, of course, COVID happened, and and I, I hate the excuse, well, it's all because of COVID, right? I don't like that, but I do think there's some validity in some things, and there is just a sweetness and just, I don't know, it's it's fun, and church has always been fun to me. I love going to church, but it's just really exciting when you can tangibly see the Lord moving in people's lives. And so like this weekend, for example, uh, was D-Now weekend for our students. Our student ministry partnered with nine other churches, and I think it was landing with over 400 kids, I think, something like that. Uh, they met at Eagle Heights over here on the other side of the highway, and so I got this shirt. You know, this is what happens as pastor. You go to one service, and they give you a shirt, and I'm like, yes! So um, always looking for a good shirt, but um, anyway, I I'm just, I hope that you are excited to be at South Lakes and what the Lord is doing because I am excited to be your pastor. All right, I am. And so um, with that being said, one thing that I need to make you aware of, we did this in the first service just because he was present. Um, we are an elder-led church, as hopefully many of you know. And if you don't, hey, we're an elder-led church. And so basically what that means is that me as the lead pastor could not make decisions in a vacuum. And then you guys are just along for the ride. Um, there's actually three other men that have been called to serve as equals next to me as we all make decisions on how we shepherd, how we protect, and how we lead uh, the church of South Lakes here. And a couple weeks ago, uh, one of our OG elders, all right, Larry Christian, one of the originals, came to me and he said, listen, uh, it's just an interesting stage of life for me right now. He's uh, nearing retirement and taking care of, of parents and just being an elder is weighty. It is. Just caring for people's souls is a weighty proposition. And I feel the weightiness of this, but the other three gentlemen that serve alongside of me, they work 40, 50, 60 hour weeks at their jobs. And, uh, and then they carry the weightiness on top of that. And so Larry said, hey, I think it's the season where I need to step away. And so on, I don't know, we took some pictures. I don't know if we got the pictures up there or not, but um, uh, we prayed over Larry and he's not unhappy. He's not leaving. This is like the most amicable thing in the world. He's just like, I want to serve. I want to go to community. I want to be here. I just can't. I don't have the capacity to lead in that way. And so Larry stepped down and uh, we presented him. Larry is a, um, he's a competitive uh, country dancer. Mm-hmm. He's hardcore. In fact, he went to his first ever world championships back in January. Larry placed fifth in the world in his age bracket. That's crazy. I tried to get him to do a little, little two-step up here. He did not do it. So I was super disappointed. But um, so what we did is that our church, uh, congratulations to you guys for all chipping in on this, whether you realize it or not. Um, 
we got him a gift certificate to a boot company to buy him a new pair of dancing boots. All right. So I'm really excited. And, uh, and I think he was super surprised by that. But um, anyway, so my goal now is now that Larry's not an elder, that we will get him to do like a Texas two-step on stage one day. So that's my goal. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But anyway, so if you see Larry, if you don't know who Larry is, just when you get here early to come to second service, you see all in the hallways, Larry, Larry, and he'll just wave. All right. So anyway, so with all that being said, um, man, I'm so grateful for him and um, I'm grateful for the three years. I can honestly tell you that the three years that he served, our church would not be where we are today if it wasn't for Larry serving on the elder board. I promise you that. That is not me blowing smoke. I don't blow smoke, all right? I don't have time for it. And so um, he really brought a whole different level of thinking to the elders that I just don't have the capacity to, and he will be greatly missed in that role. So anyway, why don't we pray? And then we're going to jump in uh, to God's word today as we're going to really start talking about where the Bible reading starts to bog down a little bit, okay? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes, even at home, if you'd join me in this? Would you pray these two prayers in your hearts, please? Would you just pray, number one, God, help me to be present in this moment, And then would you say, God, would you speak to me personally this morning? And Father, we come to you this morning with hands extended saying, God, would you speak to us this morning? Would your power of your spirit fall upon this place like you did during the first service? And would you just sweep across this congregation and online? And would you move in the hearts of men and women alike? God, would we be able to say it was so good to come together corporately and to worship a risen Savior this morning, Father? God, would you speak into heart languages this morning and to the brokenness or the joy of the people that are walking into this place or watching online? And would you be glorified in all things? And all God's people said, amen. So we are on the point of the story where people start to bog down. So once you grab your Bibles and turn to the third book of the Bible, it's the book of Leviticus. Leviticus, all right? And turn to Leviticus chapter one this morning, and you should have uh, received sermon notes on the way in, but let me show you guys something else that is a very practical tool. So our goal here at South Lakes in 2022 is that we want every person that calls South Lakes home to increase in their devotion and love for the Lord throughout the year. And the best way that I know to do that is to get people into God's word. And so we have launched an app last week, and it's not so that we can say, yay, look at our South Lakes app. It's actually so that we can provide you resources that will help make it easier as you are continuing to dive deeper into God's Word. So when you download the app, and there's the QR code, if you haven't done so, the Bible Connect section on the homepage takes you to the Bible Connect page where you have the Bible, you have the reading plan that you're currently going through. You don't have to go to version anymore. Also, you have the Bible recap, which is the podcast that we're encouraging people to do. What we've done is we've taken all of these outside entities that we've sent you guys to, what, to listen or to read, and we've combined it into one app. And so there are all that. So if you have like a version uh, an account, you can sign into your version account on the Bible reading plan and pick right up where you are, okay? These are just ways that we want to make resources readily available to help you in your endeavor as you grow more in love with the Lord. And so some other things that we're going to be looking to add to these resources is like word studies. Like there's some really good word study uh, uh, 
resources out there. And so if you ever like, I wonder what this word really means, because you know, you hear me talk all the time. Well, in the Greek, you know, it really means this. And so it doesn't translate well over into English. We want to give those resources so that you can do that. And so that's going to continue to grow that Bible Connect section, okay? Also, we have fill in the notes there if you want to start doing that. Uh, We just want to consolidate everything down to one, okay? Why? Because we want you to grow in your love for the Lord in 2022. And in order to do that, perseverance is a big word because as you're starting to read God's word, if you've been joining us on this journey, Genesis is pretty easy because you've got um, creation and you've got Abraham and you've got Joshua and his coat of many colors and you got all that kind of stuff. You get to Exodus and you get to the slavery of the Israelites in Egypt. You get the parting of the Red Sea. You get the plagues. I mean, you get God coming down in a pillar of fire on top of a mountain and consuming the fire. Like it's pretty, it's pretty rad, right? But if you've ever gone through a Bible reading plan before, there's a point where you hit the book of Leviticus. And you think to yourself, oh my goodness, this is really boring, okay? Let's just be honest. And a lot of people lose interest in the reading plan once you get to Leviticus. And if you just have the power to power through Leviticus, you go, it's gotta get better. The next book after Leviticus is literally called Numbers. And you go, I didn't think we could go farther down the well than I did in Leviticus. And you realize, oh snap, I did. So here's what I want to encourage us to do, persevere through. And in order to help you persevere through, what I want to do this morning is I want to help lay some groundwork to help teach you and to show you why you should not give up on the reading plan and why you should continue to be reading, even though we are in some books that aren't exciting, Leviticus and Numbers perhaps, okay? And so I want to help you in that. And so this morning, I kind of want to set the stage And I want to talk about why, especially if you're a believer this morning, Leviticus and Numbers are some of the most important books you can read because it helps show us something, okay? So let me just kind of set the stage for what's going on here in case you're just now joining us. Um, We've read about how God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. They were slaves for over 400 years. We've read about how... um, God went on top of Mount Sinai because that's where God led them. Or in your Bibles, it also says Mount Horeb. And God goes up and, I mean, Moses goes up and God comes down in the pillar of fire, envelops the mountain and gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And he gives them all sorts of these laws. And then last week we heard Jeremy, one of our elders, he talked about how God entered into a covenant with uh, the people of Israel. And at the end of Exodus, if you've been following along, you've read this the last couple of days, God gives specific instructions on how to build this place called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is a special place where God would come down and he would reside among his people here on earth, okay? And so they're giving very specific instructions and they're also giving instruction on how to make like the lampstand and the altars and the tables and the washing basin, right? So what do they do? These all two, three million Jews gather all of their resources, all of their gold, all of their silver, all of their bronze, all of their fine, precious jewels, all of their silks, all of everything. And they pull it all together and they construct the tabernacle. In fact, here's a picture of the tabernacle um, just to show you. Uh, The reason I chose this one is that in the top right-hand corner, that is the size of a football field, okay? And the little rectangle below it is the size of what the tabernacle would have been like. So if you're like, I don't know football, listen, there's a big game tonight. Just watch it for a few minutes, okay? And you'll know what the size of a football field is. But that is the tabernacle. 
And that's the instructions that they gave in order to do that. Now, it's not always going to say tabernacle as you start reading from here on here on forward because you're going to start hearing it called the tent of meeting because this is where Moses would go and he would meet with uh, God, right? And, and so from this point forward, if you hear about the tent of meeting, it's going to be specifically this place that would be in the middle of the Jewish campground. So let me show you that. So because God gives very specific instructions, he says, if you're in, the, in Judah, you're going to be on the east. If you're in Ephraim, you're going to be on the west. And he tells them, this is exactly how you're going to be laid out. Now, just this is a side note. This is a freebie. This is a sermon for, for another day. What shape does the camp make around the tabernacle? Cross. Because this is a picture that points us to Jesus. If you never knew that, it's pretty fascinating because God just sneaks all these little things in all throughout the Old Testament. So there you go. So this is where we are. They've got a tabernacle now or a tent of meeting. And now it's time for God to start laying out some things that need to happen. So here we are in Leviticus chapter one. We're going to read just a few verses starting in verse one. It says, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. So that word from is a very, very important word. In fact, on the count of three, can we just all say from? One, two, three. From. So I'm going to read it, and then if you guys will interject the from. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. So there are a couple of important things that you need to know about Leviticus, and this is kind of where your sermon notes come into play. The first thing you need to know about Leviticus is this. Leviticus is a book about a perfect holy God who desires or wants to draw near to his people. That's the whole point of Leviticus. It's a holy God who wants to draw near to his people. The problem is that the people he wants to draw near to are just like you and me. They are sinful and way messed up people. They are. And so what Leviticus does is it walks the Jewish people through the detailed process of how they can draw near to God. Now, Understand that when we've been looking at this, there was a gentleman by the name of Jacob, okay, back in Genesis. And Jacob's name meant deceiver. And Jacob was just, he was a snide son of a gun. That guy, he he was a trickster. And one night, Jacob wrestles with God. He doesn't really know it's God at the time. He just wrestles with this random man out in the middle of the wilderness. And he won't let go. And, and, and finally, God turns to him and says, listen, I'm not gonna call, you're not Jacob anymore. You're not gonna be known as deceiver. I'm gonna call you Israel. And Israel means God will rule. Well, Israel ends up having 12 sons. And from those, from those 12 sons come the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you ever wonder, like, how, that's weird. Like, it's literally the name of a guy and his 12 kids. That's how we get the, the nation of Israel forming there. Well, one of those tribes, one of those sons is a gentleman by the name of Levi. And Levi, God has special plans for Levi because he appoints the Levites to be the priests in the tabernacle. So they're going to oversee all the things that are going to take place in the thing that they just constructed that I showed you the picture of. And so what's going to happen is that Leviticus is written specifically to the tribe of Levite on how they're going to deal with a lot of things that are going to help people to draw in to be near to God. Because remember, it's, it was different back then. Like I am not, 
I'm nothing more than a mouthpiece for the Lord. That's really what a preacher is. It's, it's, we're going to study God's word and we're going to come and we're going to expound on scriptures and we're going to let the Holy Spirit do the work, right? Well, priests were more than that. They were mediators. They were standing between a holy God and a sinful people. And so God is going to show the Levites what steps were going to be necessary for them to take to enter into a functional relationship with a holy God. Now, there's a couple of things you need to understand as you read Leviticus and as you read Numbers and stuff. There's really three states of being that someone can find themselves in, in, in the book of Leviticus and in Numbers. The first state of being is this. It's being unclean. So unclean describes everyone, right? It's sin. It's that we are, we are unclean because sin makes us dirty in the eyes of God. The opposite side of unclean is clean. So that's the purpose of the book of Leviticus. It's to give rituals and laws that are meant to get people to a state of being clean and even trying to get them to a state of being, the third state of being is this, is holy. So you've got unclean, you've got clean, and you've got holy. And you're going to see this all throughout. And so what God is going to do is he's going to address unclean people And he's going to say, this is how you become clean. And he's going to lay out different ways that you can do it. And he lays out five specific offerings that uh, that can happen. I don't have time to go into all the offerings. You're going to be reading those. But there's a burnt offering, which is basically where I'm going to atone for my sin by having an animal be sacrificed on my behalf. And I'm going to show God, hey, I'm devoted to you. There's a grain offering, which is where you just say, thank you, God, for how you blessed us with the produce of the land. And so I'm going to give some of it back. There's a peace offering. So this is when there's some kind of disagreement between two individuals and you enter into, uh, you uh, you create this peace offering with God in the center in order for it to be amicable. There's a sin offering, right? Which this purpose of a sin offering is not to atone for sins. What its purpose is, is to purify you in case you have become unclean, unknowing, uh, unknowingly. So like, for example, if you were reading this morning, um, I think it's Leviticus 4 is where it is. God has rules for unintentional sins. If you unintentionally sin, you are made unclean and you have to have an animal sacrificed on your behalf so that you are not unclean anymore. Like there's rules for everything. And that's what a sin offering is. And a guilt offering is the fifth one. And it's not like how we think of guilt. Like we think of guilt as like a matter of, of consciousness, right? Of, of I feel this way. But a guilt offering is really I owe something to someone and I'm going to make it right, okay? So it's like a debt sort of. And so that's what you're going to be reading. And so as you're reading over the next week or two on the book of Leviticus, you're going to be reading all this stuff and you're going to be like, wow, there was a lot of animals that had to die. And there were a lot of things that had to happen. This is really messed up. And this has nothing to do with my life. Someone, we were leaving after first service and someone came up to me and said, so are we going to start killing chickens next week? And I was like, well, maybe you will, but I'm not, you know, that's just weird. Um, But you're going to be reading this. And when you read it, you're going to come to Leviticus chapter 27. I want you to flip to the end of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 27. And you're going to come to the very last sentence in the book of Leviticus. And the last sentence in the book of Leviticus is this. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. So let me put this into layman's terms today. This is an instruction book of how unclean people 
can temporarily enter into the presence of a holy God. And that word temporarily is a very big word, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But you can temporarily go from unclean to clean in order to enter into the presence of a holy God. And here's the thing, it works. It works. And the way that we know that it works is when you get to Numbers chapter 1, so just look at the page over, we're going to read Numbers 1.1, and it says this, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting. Now, whoa, we've got a change of location here because in Leviticus 1.1, God spoke to Moses from the tent of meeting. But now we have Moses has entered into the tent of meeting. Why? Because the temporary way that the sacrifices worked moved Moses from being unclean to clean so he could enter into the presence of a holy God. And it's a big deal. That's the difference between, so when my, when my wife tells my oldest daughter, Kira, says, hey, go find your dad, as I'm sure all your kids do. What does my daughter do? She yells from whatever room she's in, dad, mom needs you. And what does Christy do? Go find your dad, right? Every kid does that. That's kind of how the beginning of Leviticus is. It's God talking to Moses from the tent of meeting while Moses stands outside and says, hey, let me show you how you can enter into. And then by the time we get to numbers, Moses is now in the same room. And now they're talking. The problem is that Moses has to constantly sacrifice in order to continually be allowed to come into the room where God is because it's temporary. See, Leviticus doesn't lead to a lasting relationship. It, li- it, it leads to a temporary fix. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the temporary nature of Leviticus, right? Because the, the reality is this. The sacrifices that are in Leviticus are not permanent fixes. They're actually temporary band-aids is what they are. They're temporary band-aids. So I know we don't really do this as much anymore in sports, or at least we shouldn't. But like, you know, um, it, it, there was a time where if you got hurt, say you're on the football field and someone hit your knee and man, something went wrong. They just take you back to, to, the, uh, to, uh, to the locker room. They shoot you up with something and they put you back out there. And they said, we'll deal with the consequences later, right? Or, hey, I, coach, I see three people on the field. I think I had a concussion. They'll just put you back out there and say, don't worry, just aim for the middle one, Right? We're just going to temporarily fix something so that we can get you back into the game and then we'll deal with the consequences of what that is later. That's kind of what Leviticus is. Leviticus is, Leviticus is, I have a compound fracture and it's oozing and the doctor says, oh, don't worry, let's put a Band-Aid on there. Don't worry, it's a princess one. You're going to be okay. At least that's how it is in my house, okay? And the problem is that maybe it disguises the compound fracture, and maybe it covers up the oozing, but the reality is that it's not fixing what's really wrong. What's really wrong is you have a compound fracture. What's really wrong is you have a concussion. What's really wrong is that you blew your knee out. What's really wrong is something that maybe you can't see with the eye, but we can sure try to fix it temporarily. That's what Leviticus is. Leviticus is a temporary band-aid. And the way that we know this is because of this. I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to go to the very end of of the Bible. I want you to go to to Hebrews. So you're going to get to the end of the Bible. You're going to get to Revelation. And I want you to flip to the left a few books. And I want you to get to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. And the reason that we know this is temporary is because the author in Hebrews tells us that it's temporary. And I want to show you why. In fact, if you're a writer in your your Bible, you should put at the beginning of Leviticus, cross-reference Hebrews 10, 1 through 10. Trust me. 
You'll want to do that. All right. And when you read Hebrews 10, you should say, see Leviticus and Numbers. Okay. It's, it's important to see how God weaves the Bible together. And so if you write in your Bible like I do, then you need to put notes down because if you're like me, you're probably not very smart and you're going to forget. That's just me, honestly. Maybe you are smarter than me and you have a memory of, of, of an elephant. I don't know. Okay. But here we are. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be reading a couple of verses here. We're going to first read in verse four. So it says this, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, wait a second, because I just told everyone in this room that for the next week, you're going to be reading about nothing more than bulls and, uh, uh, yeah, bulls and goats being sacrificed so that it could atone for sins. And here I'm reading in Hebrews 10 that it's impossible that this is not going to work. So why in the world did God establish a Band-Aid for something that needed surgery? That is a waste of time. Like, why would I waste my time reading this book? Why would he set up this system if it was was meant to fail? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Let's look in verse 1 of Hebrews 10. It says, for since the law, so that's everything that we're reading, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? So you're like, okay, all right. So this is not going to work because it's not going to fix what the real problem is. The real problem is that we're always going to go back to being unclean. Our default setting as people is unclean. That's just our default setting. That's who we are. Even to the point where we do unintentional things, those are still sins in the eyes of God, even when we don't recognize it, and it still makes us unclean so we can't enter into the tent to be with the holy God. And so we see that. It's not going to work. So the question is, why? Why, why, why? Well, we look in verse 3. Here's the reason. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. The reason that God set up a Band-Aid instead of having surgery is this, is that he wanted to constantly remind the Jewish people of two things. Number one, I am a holy God. And number two, you are messed up. (laughs) You are sinners. And you cannot stay clean, let alone be holy. So what God was doing in the sacrificial system is he was laying down the groundwork to show his people that you couldn't, cannot sacrifice enough animals to fully fix what's wrong with you. And the problem is that you are defaulted to be unclean. You can't fix that. So this is what happened because we always think we're smarter than God. We always think, well, God must have missed a step, so I'm going to do it my way. So what happened is that the Jewish people looked at things, and they looked at thousands of years of trying this and always having to sacrifice animals and always having to do this and do that. And so they thought, how can we come up with a solution so that we can sacrifice less and stay clean longer? And so man's solution was this. I know I'll come up with more rules to follow. I'll come up with more rules rules to follow. So the Pharisees, who were like the leading preachers of the day, pretty smart guys, um, they looked at all the laws that God gave Moses in the old, in the old uh, 
Testament, and they said, okay, there are 613 laws that God gives Moses in the Old, Old Testament. And that's just in a couple books. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of rules. And they go, well, obviously those 613 doesn't help us to be stay clean. So what they did is they invented an additional 1,500 man-made laws. So I am not a mathematician, but when you take 600 and you add 1,500 to it, that's 2,100 laws that they're trying to follow. And they had a word for this. They called these 1,500 rules, they called them fence laws. Fence laws. And the whole purpose of fence laws was to keep people from sinning. So in their guesswork, they thought the best way that we can keep people from breaking, breaking God's law is let's build a fence around that law so that we can't even get close enough to break the law. So for example, there's a, uh, God's pretty big on resting on the Sabbath. In fact, if you've been reading this past week, he said, if you don't rest on the Sabbath, the Israelites had the right to kill you. It's like, oh, we all be dead, right? Like we definitely don't value rest like that. But God's like, I'm pretty serious about resting. So the Jews said, okay, We don't always get it right when it comes to resting. So let's make a fence law that we don't break it. So they came up with this ridiculous law that says, you shall not carry your bed across the street on the Sabbath day. Now, first off, who in the world is carrying their bed across the street anyway? All right, seriously. But specifically on Saturday, which is their Sabbath. Like what are they thinking? But they're thinking to themselves, okay, Let's create these fence laws that when we go, oh, let's go carry the bed. Joe's ready. He can help me today. And we're, oh, no, that's a law. I can't carry my bed. I guess we'll do it on Sunday. Why? Because we're trying to make ourselves holy by building fences around what God says we should and should not be doing. Well, the problem is that 2,100 laws is a lot of laws. And so the people became burdened and they became miserable. Why? Because they kept trying to fulfill all these laws. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is doing something on the Sabbath. He's healing someone. He's picking grain. He's just hanging out, right? It's it's, it's the Sabbath. And the the Pharisees go, oh my gosh, you're going to go to hell now. Like, I can't believe you're doing something on the Sabbath. And this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 46. He says, you guys, you load people with burdens that are hard to bear. And you yourselves don't even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And let me explain. Jesus is doing a play on words here. See, the Pharisees taught that you could not carry a burden on the Sabbath. And this is how they defined a burden. A burden was defined as whatever you could carry on your little finger. So what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, who were basically saying, you're going to hell for working on the Sabbath and doing something. He said, you guys aren't even going to touch the rules with your little pinky because you're hypocrites. See, Jesus isn't just kind of being like cutesy here and going, oh, uh, this would be a cute pun. No, he knew how they defined the word burden and he knew that they weren't going to touch the laws that they put in place, these fence laws. Why? Because they're dumb. Because they're dumb. (laughs) 
and they knew it. And they knew they couldn't do anything about it. And so they said, well, all you need to do this, but we'll live by a different standard. And I began to get all like judgmental on this. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what a bunch of morons, really? And then I began to think about myself. Usually when I think someone else is a moron, usually God takes me behind the shed and he just takes an ugly stick and he just beats me. And I thought to myself, you know what? I do the same thing because I constantly come up with more ways to try to impress or to appease God by my actions. In fact, we all do this. We all come up, maybe not with laws. We wouldn't call them laws. We wouldn't call them rules. But we all come up with ways to try to impress or to appease God. Why? So he'll love us more. Like Christian karma, like I don't even know where that came from, but like we just kind of think, oh, I stubbed my toe. I must have done something. Did I swear just a second ago? Like obviously God's trying to get back at me. Okay, what can I do to make amends for that? So uh, I served in a church uh, several years ago and um, our mission strategy was that we adopted an unreached people group in Bangladesh. Uh, it was a small people group. There was only about 5 million of them. Um, and I think it was like 0.00001% of them were Christians. Um, and uh, it's, it's expensive even before COVID to go to Bangladesh. And it's not like an easy ride. It's not like, hey, let's go hop in a plane and just, you know, hop, jump, and skip over there. It's a long plane ride. And then you got to take a train and you got to take a bus. And it was crazy. So it wasn't feasible for us to constantly send mission teams over to um to Bangladesh. So what we discovered is that in Bangladesh, in this specific tribe, the dad would move to different cities around the world and would work and would send money back to the family. And we discovered there were pockets of these Bengali people in London, in New York, in Michigan, in Detroit, in Chicago, in Houston. And we discovered these and we identified these. So what we would do is we would send mission teams to the cities and identify where the Bengali people would be all living in the same area. And our goal was to reach the dad so that they could go back and reach their family. Really great mission strategy. I didn't come up with it. Our mission uh, director did. And uh, she was a very, very smart lady. There was one lady at our church. Her name was Sandra. And Sandra was known as the mission trip lady of our church because Sandra went on every mission trip that you could, you could imagine didn't matter where it was, didn't matter how much it cost. It would, I mean, I, I would say she was probably gone at least six to eight weeks a year on mission trips. And she had a job. Doesn't matter. Youth trips, I could always count on her to be on a sponsor. Going to Bangladesh, come on, let's do it. I'll go get my, all my, my vaccinations done. This, 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 right? So Deanna, our mission director, sat down with Sandra one day. I said, Sandra, I got to know, why do you go on all these mission trips? See, the thing that I didn't tell is that Sandra actually came to know the Lord, not as a teenager, but later on in life. And Sandra said, you know what? I'm just trying to atone for my past. I'm just trying to do enough to make up for not doing enough. And Deanna sat down and said, you know what, Sandra? I appreciate that but there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. You do not have to atone for anything that you did before because you're forgiven. 
And you keep putting this burden of, no, I've got to do this so that I can impress and appease God. And the reality is that you don't. And I don't blame Sandra because our society is built into thinking this way. This is how we operate. You may prove my point. Let's talk about Valentine's Day tomorrow. I'm not anti-Valentine's Day. But you know, the whole holiday of Valentine's Day is predicated around the concept that if I spend money or get something extravagant, then I'm going to show my loved one just how much they, I love them, and hopefully they will return that in kind. That's the con. Now, listen, I love milk chocolate with caramel. So if you want to show your affection for your pastor, I will give you my address and I will take your candy and I will hide it in the special place that Christy and I hide our special candy so that our kids can't get it. And don't act like you don't have that too, all right? I will take your candy and I will love every bit of it. But it's a flawed thing because if we're just trying to give in order to get something back or just to try to prove this is how much I love you, this is what we do with God. And this is exactly what the Pharisees did. Well, this isn't going to work. So let's help God out and let's do some more. Let's help get God to love me more. And this is why the temporary nature of Leviticus is so critical that we understand. We read it and we read and we go, oh my gosh, there's so much that they had to do. Absolutely. You know why? Because they had to keep putting band-aids on. They had to keep putting band-aids on. Because the band-aids kept ripping off and the oozing band-aids would just be on the ground. I don't know if you've ever walked up on an ooze, like a, a, an ooze-filled band-aid before. It's like disgusting. And you're like, oh, Joey needs another band-aid. They just have to constantly put band-aids on because it was temporary. Because it wasn't fixing what was wrong. The problem is that they were unclean inwardly. They had a compound fracture. They had a concussion. You couldn't see. So this is where we enter Jesus. Look in Hebrews 10 again. We're going to look in verse 5. See, because Jesus has a permanent fix. Jesus has a permanent fix for the temporary fix that was the law. So it says, consequently, so what, what are we saying? Well, we're saying that God has, uh, the writer of Hebrews has just told us that the Levitical law is a band-aid and it's not really going to fix the problem. Okay. So consequently, when Christ came onto the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Now, can I just say, if I am a Jewish man or woman right now, and I have lived my entire life killing things so that I can have atonement for my sin, I am super frustrated by this because I have just been told in the book of Hebrews, the inspired word of God, that God has never liked, nor will he ever like, the sacrifice of animals. Okay? He doesn't take pleasure in them. They're not, they don't work. And then it says in verse 7, and then Jesus said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When Jesus said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, because these are offered according to the law. And then Jesus added, Behold, I've come to do your will. He does not, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Now, if you underline again, you want to highlight in big words and letters, once for all. There's the permanent fix of Jesus. 
So Christ arrives onto the scene and he sees all the sacrifices. He sees this monstrosity of a temple that had been taken up to that point when Jesus arrived on the scene. It was four, uh, 60 years into construction and it still wasn't done yet. And Christ arrives onto the scene and he says, hey, I see your constant sacrifices. I see your band-aids. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna raise you a one-time sacrifice. I'm going to see the constancy of what you're doing, and I'm going to say, ah, let's get rid of that, and let's get you into the OR. Let's fix it. And when Christ's one-time sacrifice takes place, he permanently atones for sins. And this is huge. And this is why Leviticus and Numbers are so important for us to read. Because when we recognize that we were trying to do things to appease God and it's never worked and it never will work. And we recognize that, wow, Jesus took care of it all. Then it changes our priorities and it changes our focus. So instead of you and I sitting around moping about our sin and our shortcomings, we can be focused more importantly on the things that God desires. And you go, well, what does God desire? Well, I'll tell you what he doesn't desire, band-aids. And he doesn't desire us trying to kiss up to him, like just so that you can get him to love you more. That's not what he desires. Like this is what he desires. So um, there, there's a resource out there. It's called the Westminster Catechism. And, the West, and catechisms are simply this. I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to get a simple response in return. They're a fantastic way to learn theology. Westminster Catechism, if you're like, where do I start to understand what I believe in my faith? Start with the Westminster Catechism. So the Westminster Catechism, the very first question of the Westminster Catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? In other words, why are we here? What does God desire for our lives? And the answer is this, he desires that we would glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, can I just say, that this right here sounds a whole lot more freeing than trying to constantly impress and appease God. Man, this sounds better. Like, wait, I'm supposed to bask in the glory of God and bring him glory? I don't have to kiss up? I don't have to tell him all the time through my actions, I love you and I'm gonna show you I love you because I need you to love me more? Wait a second. I just need to bring you glory. And the thing is that when we understand that band-aids don't work and how whatever your, your, your means is to try to impress God in your own ways, whether it's you're here today and you're like, well, God should be happy with me. Or y- y- you put a 50 in the offering plate and you go, well, God should be happy with me. Or oh, I went to community group today. God should be happy with me. Or I didn't wave that finger at that guy who cut me off. God should be happy with me, Right? Like we have all these things. It doesn't work that way. Because there is no greater example of how God loves us than when he sent his son to die for us. But there's nothing that we can do to try to get God to love us more. Because God said, I don't know what more you, I literally emptied all of heaven to get you back. I gave you all of myself. You have it all. And when we understand that, and we stop putting burdens on ourselves to try to impress God, then all of a sudden we begin to shift in how we live our lives. And we begin to think, you know what? I want to learn more about this holy God. Why do you think we started with getting you guys to all read the Bible? Because the number one way to grow someone's affection for the Lord is to get to know God better. That's it. 
And if you're like, why am I not growing in my love for the Lord? I would ask, well, how consistent are you in getting to know God? And I can tell you, those two are going to be related. They are. Well, I read it on Sundays when you tell me to open the Bible, but the rest of the week I don't. Well, I I think I know where the problem lies. I know. Like, but when we understand, wow, I want to know this holy God better. All of a sudden we go, well, I want to worship this holy God more. I want to worship this holy God with other believers. Why? Because Hebrews tells us we should not forsake the gathering of the saints together. We should be gathering corporately. And I'm not here to say if you're online today that like you're wrong, but I'm saying that if you're not here because of just laziness, then you are wrong. That's just it. Because when we understand who God is, we go, I want to worship God and I want to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because the specialness of this place has nothing to do with how cool our building is or how new it is. It has everything to do with the heart of the people walking in saying, we are knitted together in the name of Jesus and we lift him on high. That's it. And you don't get that in the living room when you're watching Joey on the TV. You don't. And we go, I want to worship this holy God. I want to bring him glory by lining up my life with the best way that he tells me how. I want to be a parent that brings God glory. And do I suck at it? Absolutely. But I want to strive. I want to be the best husband I can be. I want to be the best pastor I can be. I want to be the best neighbor I can be. And the only way I can do that is to say, this is what God desires for my life. And when I understand Man, God loves me. Even when I stink at being a husband most days, God doesn't love me any less. He loves me the same. And I go, man, because he loves me so much, I want to line up my life to bring him glory. I want to tell others and treat others with love the way that God loves them. I want to say no to the sin that so easily ensnares. And here's the reason why. I told you the progression in Leviticus chapter one, God talked to Moses from the tent of meeting. Then he gives Leviticus and he says, here's the band-aid. This is how you can temporarily go from unclean to clean to enter into the presence of a holy God. So when you get to Numbers one, Moses has gone inside the tent of meeting and now God is talking to him in the tent of meeting. When Jesus comes and he's about to go to the cross for us. And I've shared this a couple of weeks ago and Jesus tells his disciples in John, he says, listen, it is for your best interest that I go home to be with the father. And they go, how is it better for you not to be here? And Jesus says, because I'm going to put myself in you. See the progression here? Outside the tent because we're unholy, temporary band-aid, I can temporarily get into the presence of God. Oh, Jesus paid it all. And now because of that, I don't have to do anything to earn the right to go into the presence of God because God has said, I'm going to take up residence inside of you. And that is so much better than trying to put band-aids on in order to impress God so he'll let us in the building. Permanent residence is always better than temporary occupancy. Always. And it's not because of anything we did. It's because of everything that Jesus did. So there's two questions that I have, only two today, but man, they are heavy questions. The first question is this. This is for the Christians in the room. What burdens are you trying to carry in order to impress God? 
What burdens are you carrying to try and impress God? What is it? What is it that you go, well, I'm not going to say this out loud because pastor will say I'm wrong or I don't want others to know this. But deep down in my heart, I know that if I just act this way, God will love me more. Man, that's, that are, those are some shackles that you got to get rid of. Those are some shackles that you are carrying that do not need to be bore. They, they don't. Because you're an adopted child of God. He ain't kicking you out. He's not. I don't care how much of a loser and a mess up you think you are. He's not kicking you out. You're adopted. You know what your last name is? Well, I, I didn't think about this before, but it would be, I, well, I, no, I mean, seriously, I think you're, you're I, I am Joey Dean, Christ follower. That's who I am. It's who I am. And nothing's going to change that. No matter how big of a bonehead I am. What's keeping you, or what burdens are you carrying trying to impress God? Because I guarantee you, it's stunting your growth. It is. Second question is this. For those that may still be wrestling with, with like faith and Christianity and all that kind of stuff, I would say this. What is keeping you from believing and trusting in Christ's sacrifice? You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people in my life and a lot of times I get things like this. Well, you know what? I just got to clean up my act. Or I just, I just got to get this part of my life in order. Can I just tell you something? If you're trying to get clean enough and if you're trying to, to make amends enough, you are going to be doing that all the way to the gates of hell. Seriously. Because there is nothing you can do to make yourself clean enough where God says, hey guys, come on into the tent. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Never has. Never will. So what is it that's keeping you from believing and trusting in Christ's sacrifice? Is it because you're too dirty in your minds? Is it because you need to clean up your act first? What burdens are you carrying to try to impress God? What are you, what's going on? Because when I read Leviticus, you know what I read in Leviticus? Heaviness. I'm like, oh my gosh, I yelled at my kids again. Christy, go get the goat. Seriously. Or I guess in our context, the chickens, right? Go get the chickens. I mean, it's just like, hey, Christy and I lie down for bed at night and I go, I lean over, I go, hey, sweetie, do you think you had any unintentional sins today? Well, I don't know. All right, let's go get the fatted calf. All right. I mean, like my backyard would be a, a, a barnyard, right? That is so heavy. As opposed to saying, hey, you think you had any unintentional sins today? Oh, I know I did, but I'm forgiven. Hey, were you a bad parent today? Oh, yes. But Jesus still loves me. Stop trying to impress God. And stop thinking that you're going to get clean enough where he's going to say, oh, finally, Joey, I've just been waiting for you to clean up that part of your life. Come on in now. It doesn't work that way. Never has, never will. If it did, then Leviticus would have been the end of the Bible. It would have been the end because the sacrificial system would have worked. Why should you read Leviticus and Numbers? Because it's going to remind you that God is holy and that band-aids don't work. That's it. Can I pray for you, Father? I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, I am so glad that Jesus paid it all. 
I am so glad that there is nothing in my power that I could ever do to try to impress you because that is just exhausting to think about, Lord. But I am loved and accepted by my Savior. And Father, when I understand that, when I understand that there's nothing I can do to impress you, it frees me up to say, man, what can I do to continuously show my affection to the Lord, not to impress him, but because he loves me so much, how can I love him more and more and more? And Father, when we understand that, our entire way of living is transformed because it's not about trying to appease a wrathful God anymore. It's about wanting to bring you glory because you've given so much for us. Father, I pray for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, those that, and probably there's a vast majority of us that fit into this category. We have our own little things that we do to try to appease you, to try to get you to love us more. Father, I pray that you would tear down that barrier that we've placed up, our own little fence laws. And then we would bask in your glory and relish the fact that we're loved. It doesn't matter how big of a bonehead we are, Father. You love us. Father, I pray for those in this room that may be struggling with their faith or those that are just wondering, what do I do with Jesus? Maybe they know. They know deep down inside that something needs to happen, but they're just waiting to get more clean. They're waiting to become a better parent, to be a better spouse, clean up their their language, whatever. God, would you help them to recognize right now that there is not enough work they can do on their in their lives that you're gonna you're gonna accept them because it has nothing to do with what we've done. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done for us, our one-time sacrifice. So Father, I pray for those that might be waiting for the perfect time to be saved. I pray that today would be that day. Today would be the day where they would just have an honest conversation with you and confess, you know what? I'm unclean. And Jesus, I need you to make me clean. And then they would just bow down in submission to you and say, would you be king of my life? And that today would be the day of salvation. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please think about those two questions. Christian, what burdens are you holding on to because you just want to impress God and get him to love you more? Would you consider letting those go this morning? And secondly, those that are just wrestling with, what do I do with faith? You start with just confessing that you're not good enough. (laughs) But Jesus is. I'm going to stand off to the side. If you want me to pray over you for anything, I would love and be honored to do so. But the most important thing you can do right now is to spend some time asking God those questions. What am I holding on to? Why will I not bow down? Father, work in this room. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about South Lakes Church, go to slchurch.life.